You're listening to Seed of the Woman, a podcast dedicated to telling the grandest story of all and to exposing the mystery of 666. Seed of the Woman is produced by the Gospel Story Arc Project, using the science of story to better tell who Jesus is. It's your story, too. Hello, everyone. I'm Randall Gilmore. In this episode, I'm going to take you behind the scenes to a recent conversation I had with someone about what's coming next, and I believe it's going to help to prepare you as we go further into our story, lifting up the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and making ourselves ready for his return, while exposing the mystery of 666. Hello? Hey, Kara. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing really well. For those who may not know, Kara is my daughter-in-law. She was on the podcast with me in episode 6, and I thought I'd call her today to talk about this episode. Yeah, hey, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to, to talk with me. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Uh, so, Papa, how's the podcast going? By the way, Papa is my official family name. Yeah, it's, it's going really well. We've come to a point in telling... I begin to explain to Kara that we've come to a critical point in the story we're telling where we have to take a much closer look at the nexus between the political, economic, and religious system of Nimrod and the in-time political, economic, and religious system of the Seed of the Serpent, Revelation 13's Beast Out of the Sea. Now, so this is really a, a big challenge for me because there's just so much to talk about. And, and I realize that in some ways this is kind of obscure for some people. So it's been kind of a challenge to put it together and to do it in a way that makes sense to people and that they're going to be able to apply to their lives. Is there a part that you've been most excited about um, understanding yourself and excited to pass on to others? Yeah, and I really think for me, the part that's been the most exciting is just the, the focus on calculating 666. So um, I was not ever taught anything about that. And in fact, my Bible teachers, I explained to Kara that I've sat under some really great Bible teachers in my lifetime, but my Bible teachers never used the story of the seed of the woman to teach end time events. They never used story at all. Their only concern seemed to be systematizing Bible teaching and trying to come up with an accurate sequence of end time events. And that often left me confused and my curiosity unsatisfied. One of my Bible teacher heroes actually said, it's hopeless for anyone to try to figure out the significance of 666. Not too long ago, and maybe you've heard me talk about this, I 
was watching a video that mentioned a book entitled The Computation of 666. And it was written in the late 1800s. And I found a PDF copy of it and downloaded it and read it. And that changed everything. I mean, it, it filled in so many gaps. And then it started pointing me to other sources, which I'm really continuing to look into. I found there are a lot of people from the late 1800s who wrote about this sort of thing. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah, it really is. It was on their minds. And, and so it really is interesting. But there's so much information that it actually can be overwhelming. Everybody's going to see exactly what I mean by that as we start taking a closer look about the, the details of the, the history of 666. There are so many details, and I'm still learning. I'm trying my best to figure it out and distill everything and put it into a form that the listeners can easily understand as we start peeling back these layers. Mm, that's really neat. So thanks for what you're doing this and that you're diving in. It's so interesting that a couple hundred years ago it was um, spoken of and really researched because I haven't heard too much about it either until now. And to be honest, I um, this is I don't know where this came from in my heart, but um, but even just talking about six 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 feels like I should. It almost feels like a bad word to say those numbers together. Um, like I, uh, and then whenever you mentioned that it says um, that it is good to consider and to research these numbers, I'm like, no, God has given us authority to do this. But um, but it's almost like something you just. I didn't even want to say the words out loud because it almost feels like it's it's bad, <laughs> you know, to not even to not even go there, or it's bad to go there. I mean, yeah, and I, I totally get that, and I, I think that's one of the the big problems. I go on to explain to Kara that one of the biggest problems is the spirit of delusion that will keep people from seeing this nexus at the end of the age, and also from doing what they need to do. This is a spirit that exists now and that will only grow stronger and stronger until the end. Paul talks about this delusion in 2 Thessalonians. He describes it as a strong delusion and as a wicked deception. Now, a chief proponent of this delusion at the end will be the false prophet, the beast out of the sea, who is also mentioned in Revelation 13. John tells us that he will perform great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. You know, that's what Elijah did. And the prophets of Baal were unable to do that. But he, the false prophet, will be able to do it, which will only add to the strong delusion and wicked deception. When you said um, a spirit of delusion, I immediately wondered if that would be the same thing as like a spirit of deception. And um, so those words are interchangeable there. That's what you mean by delusion. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's also ignorance. There's willful ignorance that compounds that deception. And, and by the way, there's more than one kind of ignorance. I mean, there's willful ignorance, which feels like a conscious decision that some people make to not look into the truth. They just don't care. So apathy is a form of that kind of ignorance. The Bible also talks about scoffing, and scoffers are people who mock. And it would be like someone labeling everything that we're talking about or everything we're uncovering as nothing more than conspiracy theory. Once they apply a label like that, then they give themselves permission to stop looking into the truth. 
The Bible also talks about drunkenness, I mean, as part of ignorance. And that could refer to people who are literally drunk or people who are, are just finding ways to dull their concerns about end time events. Maybe they're determined just to party their way through. Mom and I met a lady uh, not too long ago that uh, we were talking to about end time events. And she said, oh, don't talk to me about that. My husband and I just retired and we don't really want to hear any of that. It's like, I don't want to hear anything that might disrupt my comfortable life. And all of that kind of thing is going to just contribute to that delusion, that deception that's at the end of the age that, that really stands in the way of people understanding and then responding in biblical ways to what they're hearing. Wow. Coming back to the way I was raised, and, and maybe you as well, to just all the systemizations and, and working so hard to establish a, a sequence of events. I don't, I don't think that systemization is all bad. Like I say, with my work with the Gospel Story Art Project, it's just shown me the importance of the biblical story that lies underneath our systemizations. And if we never actually tell the story, then we're robbing ourselves of uh, a teaching method that God's hardwired into our brains. It turns out that it's the most effective method of all. I, and I, I go into that sort of thing in the Gospel Story Art Project Master Course on Evangelism. But to me, the, the biggest problem with focusing solely on the system or solely on that sequence of events is that I think it really wreaks havoc on our ability to perceive that God's at work in this world completing his plan day by day and month by month and year by year throughout all of history. So working out all those details throughout history of his plan to crush the head of the serpent and restore the world through the seed of the woman. So it's kind of easy, and I don't know if you would agree with this, uh, but I think it's easy to think about God's involvement in the world back in Genesis or his involvement in Old Testament history of Israel. I think it's easy to think about God's involvement in Jesus' lifetime and in the early church. and Maybe also easy to think about God's involvement at the end of the age, but there's this gap of time in between where we seem to lose the ability to connect the dots that God is at work and doing his plan. But uh, the dots are there, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. It's one of the reasons for, for taking such a closer look at the nexus between the political, economic, and religious system of Nimrod and the end-time political, economic, and religious system of the beast out of the sea. Wow, I really look forward to hearing more about Nimrod. I feel like just that little bit that you've already touched on. Um, I mean, it's all new to me. I love hearing about it and was understanding instead of just skimming over those verses, like seeing that um, there's there's a lot of rich uh, application to them, but rich, uh, not just application, just understanding, yeah, that God was working and really where those people were coming from. And then you can see um, also the deception with Nimrod, like him thinking that he needed to make a blessing for himself rather than submitting um, to God, understanding God's heart, that he wanted to bless all people through Shem, you know, that that he wanted to, um, I mean, that's what we know now, looking back, that his heart was for all people. And you can edit this out, but <laughs> I'm just thinking like with Adam, um, I seem like Adam would have known and understood God's heart after walking with him and being with him. Um, but by the time Nimrod came along, whether it was the bitterness that came down through the family that you'd mentioned or um, 
uh, just a disconnect from who God really was. He was just acting on his own. But it seems like that, um, I mean, it's so easy to live uh, in a deceptive cloud like that, that we have to go out and look for our own blessing, um, that our comforts, that really what we need are the external comforts. Um, it's easy to be deceived to think that that's true. And uh, God has so much more for us. That's so neat. I love it that you're going into that. I mean, it really unveiled a lot for me. Yeah, well, there's there's more to this, too, because one of the, the things that I've uncovered in, in the study is that there are deep ties, not only between the stories of Nimrod and the beast out of the sea, but deep ties to their worldviews. So I really believe that the worldview of the beast out of the sea comes right from Nimrod and the story of Babel and the corruption of the story of Noah. And I'm going to go into that detail as the the podcast continues. But let me just list some of those beliefs and values and issues, modern day issues that flow out of that corruption of the story of Noah and are put on display beginning with Nimrod and Babel. So we have things like climate change, abortion, mystic spirituality, gay marriage, transgenderism, the whole LGBTQ movement, animal rights, and extreme vegetarianism, socialism, I don't know if you've heard the expression stakeholder capitalism. That's getting to be a popular expression now. Stakeholder capitalism is, it's really socialism. It's not shareholder capitalism, but stakeholder. This emphasis upon everyone being part of the system and everyone having sort of this socialist interest in what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and there's things like that with one world government, one world religion, the one world digital currency, And opposition to Christianity and opposition to Israel, all of those issues go back to Nimrod and and Babel. And going back there shows the deep ties between those issues and the corruption that took place just after the flood and what's going to happen someday as the beast out of the sea rises to take control. And there's something else about that that's really interesting, Kara, uh, because we all know people, just regular people, who seem to be embracing the values associated with those issues. And of course, there are politicians and sports figures and actors and actresses that do that. But everyday people as well, and some of them are professing Christians who've turned away from what the Bible says. But they're not in your face about it, not all of them. They're, They're not militant about these things. But this, too, is a a reason for us to really connect these dots, because the fact is that the end-time political, economic, and religious system of the beast out of the sea that includes all those things I just mentioned, those issues, it's pure evil, and it's the spirit of Antichrist. But here's the thing. Evil and the spirit of Antichrist don't always look like, um, well, they don't always look like Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. You know, at, at times it can seem attractive and reasonable and, and inviting, like the temptation that Satan crafted to incite rebellion in the first place. So taking a look at that nexus and peeling back some of those layers, it's going to be a challenge to do it. Honestly, it's going to be a challenge. But as we do it, it's going to put flesh on the spirit of Antichrist. It's going to show that the spirit of Antichrist is very much a part of the real world and something we're going to have to face at the end of the age. 
Um, can I go back to you saying, like just mentioning the one world currency? Sure. That was something growing up that um, was talked about a lot. Like, so the 666 was one of the signs that were just kind of put out there that that'll be an end time and the one world currency. But what I'm hearing you say, like, is it, but those are just representations of a bigger worldview. Like those aren't the, it kind of sounds like with what you're saying, those, those are reflections or like they come out of something bigger. Like those aren't the big things. They're going to be like the fruit of, of the whole paganistic worldview. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, it's a package deal and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's about control, but it's about control for a purpose. And the purpose is ultimately worship of the dragon, who is Satan, and worship of the beast out of the sea, who is his seed, the seed of the serpent. And, and so things like digital currency are not necessarily bad in of themselves, but there is the control factor that leads into the economic system of 666. And, and think about it this way, that back with Nimrod, when he was building the Tower of Babel with the people who were his subjects, uh, there's no question that he was doing some things coercively toward them with respect to their resources. He was co-opting their resources, taking resources from them in order to, to build the, the tower. And there's going to be a similar a coercive economic system that's designed to empower and promote the beast out of the sea when he comes on the scene. And so that's why this is all a package deal. And what's fascinating to me as we go back and look at Nimrod and Babel is we're going to see all of these things that were sort of uh, there in the beginning. And then when, when, when God came down and, and dispersed the people, made them stop building the tower and disperse the people, then all of those elements of that worldview went with them everywhere they went. And mm-hmm. then over time, it morphed and uh, people added to it. There were myths and mysteries added in. And those are all out there now in in the world, in various religions and various worldviews. And what we're saying is that those are all going to come back together in a centralized way under the beast Mm -hmm. out of the sea. So one of the things I'm wanting to do is let people recognize that when they see these issues like climate change, abortion, mystic spirituality, all those things that I listed, When they see those issues on display, what they're seeing is the beginning of the kingdom of the beast out of the sea, the seed of the serpent. It's beginning to form, and they need to be warned about that so that they're not just unwittingly participating and being sucked into the deception. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. It's really neat. Yeah. Well, hey, Kara, I feel like I ought to let you go. And so thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me about this. This is great. It's been helpful just to talk it through. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for it. Anytime. Take care. We love you guys. So there you have a bit of a behind the scenes look at the podcast. I want to thank my daughter-in-law, Kara, for coming on. Kara is a very special person to me and really to our entire family, especially to her husband, Eric, and their four children. And I just love her interest in the story of the seed of the woman. Keep in mind, I'll be back in a few weeks with the next episode and a closer look at the nexus between the political, economic, and religious system of Nimrod and the mystery of 666. Meanwhile, if you have any questions about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at gospelstoryarc.org. That's gospelstoryarc.org. 
And let me encourage you to read the story of Noah in Genesis 6 through 9 over the next few weeks, paying special attention to the timeline included there in God's Word. Those details will factor into our understanding of the corruption and eventually makes its way to the end of the age. More next time on Seed of the Woman.